This is tape number 19 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his message is faith and pre-adolescence. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Proverbs 22, verse 15, and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And it reads as follows. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith and Pre-Adolescence. Message number 19 of the series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. You know, I'm preaching all year on faith in this last part of the year, on how God builds faith uh, using our most intimate relationships. And we're, li- we're at a little jog in the trail here, where we're talking specifically about parenthood, but more generally about life. That is, those of you who do not have children in these categories will see that these messages apply just as appropriately to your friends and to yourself, because biblical principles are universal. Now, this week we are turning. I, I, I gave a message a couple of weeks ago that talked about what was required for spiritual leadership in life. And basically people need four things from you uh, if you're going to be their spiritual leader. Number one, they need your presence. Number two, they need your purity. Number three, they need your perspective. And number four, they need your perfecting focus. They need you to help them pay attention to a particular thing. Last week we talked about raising kids from ages 1 to 10. We used that famous verse, uh, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. We talked about training as you train an animal, you know, but according to their nature. And how important that was to lay a foundation of obedience because obedience is so important to faith. People must believe that the one who's running the universe has a better idea and is stronger than they are. And it is important for them to act on that and thereby building their faith. Now this, this week we turn to probably the most frustrating uh, uh, juncture of life of any of them. Frustrating not only for parents but for the kids in this juncture. This is pre-adolescence or early adolescence. This is age 10 to early teens. Um, and, and we go a little bit further in Proverbs 22. We go from train up a child in the way he should go to foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Uh, I, I chose that because that, the heart in, in Hebrew means also the mind or the nature. And it, it just seems like uh, kids at this age just <laughs> are stupid. They're just foolish. They're just, you just want to, you know, well, now watch. It's not true. At, at this age, they're very smart. They're just very scared. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take the turn from training to teaching. Because at this age, you can begin to connect discipline. It says the rod of discipline will, will drive it far from them. Uh, I'm not, ta- I'm not uh, talking about corporal punishment for kids this age because it doesn't work for kids this age. But I'm talking about discipline as teaching. That's, a disciple is a learner. This way, this, this, we turn from, from training to teaching because uh, for the first time, they can grasp abstract concepts at this age. Jean Piaget was a, was a famous uh, child developmental psychologist in the earlier part of this century. 
And he said at this age they can actually grasp moral concepts uh, and abstract thinking. And so we, tr- we go from training to teaching. We go from a ministry of constraint for the first 10 years to a ministry of cooperation. What you want to see, to tell kids at this age, is that I'm walking along with you. I'm going to give some perspective to you. I'm going to cooperate in helping you negotiate these times. And I want you to know we're going to get through this. This is at a time where perspective is especially important. Uh, because they have none. Kids at this age have no perspective. They've just turned around. You know, when they're, when they're, when they're small, their world is just kind of around them. And now at this age, they've just turned around to discover this huge thing that they're supposed to fit into. And it's like they're foreigners in this country. And so they need an interpreter. Now, I want to tell you that if you have not done your job at the beginning of this thing, if you do not have obedient children, it is impossible to teach disobedient children. What you are reduced to, if you are not obedient, is short-term bribes or threats. That's what you're reduced to. By the way, that is also true for adults. If you are not obedient to, unto the Lord, then your behavior is, is, is governed by short-term bribes or threats. I mean, basically, that's how you act toward the Lord. You know, If you're afraid, you'll act straight. Or if you think you're going to get something good, you'll act straight. But it won't be out of obedience. See, So it's very important you do the, the first things first. Now, if you are obedient then, here's, here's what, how your nature changes. Your nature changes from being, um, you know, when, when, kids, when kids feel weak and they're scared, they get quiet. Kind of like a little cricket. You know, you walk by and crickets just shut up, you know. And so they get quiet. At this age, they feel just a little bit strong. And the difference between somebody who feels weak when they get when they get afraid they get quiet the one one who feels a little bit strong when they get afraid they get mad they get angry so a lot of kids at this age will just be pure argumentative anger they're just ready to go you know okay perfectly normal you know it's their reaction to fear it's their reaction to fear that's why that last scripture verse i gave you Ephesians 6:4 says fathers don't provoke your children to anger in other words, don't think that your only, your only responsibility in this stage is to argue the, your way through it. It says, but give them over to the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you how to do that right now. First of all, I want to tell you how the Bible outlines the four main attacks from the adversary on all of us. But they become especially apparent at this age. First of all, I want you to turn to a couple of scriptures with me. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to Genesis chapter 3. And then next we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4. These are the two places in the Bible where it is shown most clearly how the adversary comes to the innocents. And the areas in which they are tempted. And you will recognize these as we talked uh, uh, about them. First of all, you can recognize by Eve's response to the temptation of the forbidden fruit how she was tempted. There are two categories of temptation here. It says three, but, but we can, we can uh, put them into two. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, we're going to combine those two for the purpose of this sermon, and say there was a temptation of the appetite. 
there was a physical temptation, a temptation of the appetite. And then look at, uh, on further, and it says, And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. There is a temptation of the intellect. So, so far we have a temptation of the appetite, or a physical temptation, and a temptation of the intellect. Now turn over to chapter 4 of Matthew with me. And see how Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, and in what areas he was tempted. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... This, by the way, people in middle school hear that, hear that mocking if all the time. All the time. Yeah, well, if, you know, that's how they... That's, that's how they it, and it's, it's, it's a premonition and, uh, and, and, a, and a result of, of this mocking voice right here. He says, If you are the Son of God, Command that these stones become bread. What category is that in? That's, again, in the category of appetite or physical temptation. Now look at verse 6. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up and strike your foot against a stone. In other words, he was saying to Jesus, You want to be popular? I'll show you how to get people to follow you. Do something so spectacular that all of the crowds adore you and all of the crowds respect you and all of the crowds look up to you. Do that kind of miracle. Now let me ask you a question. This is a social temptation. How much time do you think a kid this age spends dreaming that they could do something to have everybody adore them? Everybody... Uh, uh, just respect them and, and admire them. I'm telling you, 90% of their lives are spent dreaming this. It's a social temptation. And a good part of adult lives are spent dreaming this. You know, you're going down the street wishing you could sing like Whitney Houston, you know? And then everybody admire you, see? Well, that's a social temptation. Now look at the last one. It says in verse 8, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, and their glory. And they said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. In other words, what he was trying to do was distract Jesus from the central point of his life of worshiping God by showing how much else could be important in his life. And that is a pure spiritual temptation. Spiritual temptation is a temptation of distraction from the Lord. And so, there are four categories of temptation here, and I'm going, to, I'm going to quickly outline for you how those take place in the lives of a middle schooler. I'm also going to, uh, and as I go along, you will see how they take place in your own life. Number one, the physical temptation. It is not only the temptation of appetite that kids have to face. It is the new temptation of the development of their bodies. Their bodies are changing. They are reaching puberty. And there are things happening inside their bodies they never imagined before. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you, when you were little, did you ever get any Mexican jumping beans? Anybody ever got any, get any of those? Mexican jumping They're pretty fascinating, aren't they? They just kind of hop around, you know. You, know. Yep, you get one of those things open, you know. And what is inside is a little worm. It's just kind of going all over the place. I want to tell you, your kid's body is exactly like that. I mean, that all of a sudden, it's not just business as usual. There's something happening in my body here. 
What is this deal? The hormones start going to such an extent, now watch this, that they affect the thinking of your child. I don't, think, I don't know how many of us realize that, that our kids are, are brain impaired when, when hormones are going. You're sitting there thinking, boy, that's a, boy, this is weird. You know, this kid's acting like he's brain impaired. He is brain impaired. And so is she. And so is anybody whose hormones are raging. They have a definite effect on your thinking. Now, boys and girls are different. You can predict girls a little bit better. They're a little bit more cyclical. Boys are more spasmodic, you know, and seasonal, you know. But they become brain impaired. I have this theory, by the way, for men 35 to 45 that the same thing happens. <clears throat> but that's another uh, message altogether. So here these kids are. And these bodies are going wild. And they don't know. They, you, know they're, you know, they're having temptations. They're having thoughts they've never had before. You know? What do they need at this age? They need... As in every one of these temptations, they need a voice of grace. And most of them do not have a relationship strong enough uh, uh, right now with the Lord to hear the Lord's voice. So they need your voice. And here's what they need to hear. They need to hear, you know what? All kinds of wonderful things are happening in your body right now. Feel real strange. You're having thoughts you've never had before. Fears you've never had before. You know, they take a look at their body. They take a look at a high schooler's body and they go, oh man, you know. This is never going to get there, you know? I, I, I mean, boys literally fear that they are the only boy on earth that will never reach puberty. Guaranteed. I God's going to pass me by. I know He is. I'm going I'm to be the only boy that will never reach that wonderful, you know, so on and so forth. Even though he's, he's, you know, well, anyhow, here's what they need to hear. They need to hear God's doing something wonderful with your body right now. And I know it's confusing, and I know you've got these... these uh, Temptations and appetites you haven't had before. I know all of that. But I want you to know he's preparing you for something. And your main deal right now is that you have to wait. You have to learn to wait. You're going to have to learn to wait <clears throat> not only on that wonderful relationship he has for you someday, but also on the physical temptation that tempts, tempts you so much. You know why? Because God is trying to teach you a very important lesson at this age. And that is this. Even though it seems like your body has control of you, you have control of your body. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul said this, I make my body my slave, that I might not be disqualified for ministry. Every kid at this age needs a parent that will say, you know what, you are in control of your body. You can determine what you do with your body. It, it is, you have the power to resist the temptation and to resist getting yourself into trouble later on down the line. You've got that power. You know what? It's so curious these days to see even the government these days is starting to come up with this. You know, Donna Shalala, of all people, Department of Health and Human Services, just recently came out with this statement. You know, I think abstinence is a good idea for teenagers. Really? Wow. Hadn't thought of that. You know, there are commentaries being written in, in Time Magazine. Just a week ago, Time Magazine had a, had a commentary on how they thought it was a really good idea of abstinence for kids. For the first time, even the government that is not built on a moral base is saying, look, you can be responsible. 
You can, you can control the urges of your body. And that's your job at this stage. And it gives you such a sense of having that potency. You know, I don't have to be drug all over by emotions. I, I can really, really control this thing. Secondly, there is the intellectual temptation. You know, you go from simple math in middle school to algebra. You know, oh man, that's, that is, that is so intimidating. And you begin to think of how, what the world expects from you intellectually. It is a fearful thing to start comparing your intelligence to what you think is everybody else's intelligence. And you start to feel inferior. Uh, Erickson says at this stage, it's industry versus inferiority. Most kids, if they can't accomplish something, either with their hands or intellectually, they begin to feel very inferior, you know? Here's your ministry. Here's your voice of grace to your kid this age or to your friend who, who has equal doubts about their own intellectual ability. First thing you need to say to them is IQ is a small part of the story. It's only part of the story. There are a lot of people that are smart in a lot of different areas. Intellect is a matter of being able to use the kind of reasoning God has given you. Again, if you want to pick up an article on that, uh, I think it was last week's uh, time or two weeks ago, Time Magazine had an article on EQ or the emotional quotient. In other words, they said your IQ may get you a job, but your EQ, your ability to read and work with people, will determine whether or not you're successful in that job. So, so the ability to work out certain mathematical formulae or, or rememorize certain facts is only a small part of the story. Your kid needs to know that God made them with the brain that they have. He made no mistakes and that they are smart in at least one area. They are smart in at least one area and they need to be challenged to think. They need to be challenged to reason. You know... A kid at this age, I said before, mostly what they want to do is argue. They want to see how far they can push out the boundaries. Even when a kid is arguing, they need to say, you need to be able to say, good argument. No, that's a bad argument. You ought to try this one. You know, I do this when my, when my kids argue with my wife because she's kind of the boundary setter, you know. And, and she's, you know, strong as I am. She's stronger than I am, boy. And they'll come up. Of course, all three of them are strong-willed. And they'll come up. And, boy, it's like the battle of the, you know, it's Armageddon, you know. And, uh, and, and what, I've, what I've done is I've, is I've taken the boys off to the side. You know, I said, now, now think about this. Think this through. Because the way you're arguing is very ineffective. You're, you're not going to be able to get what you want. You, you've got to think. You've got to, you've got to sharpen your negotiating skills here, you know. I take it out of the realm of emotions, put it in the realm of intellect. They say, I say, look, don't approach your mother when she's tired. Anytime, anybody who's tired is going to shut down immediately because they can't handle anything else. That's a dumb time to come with a request. Number two, you know how strong she is. Don't push her to the, to the place where she has to not only forbid this time, but always, because that's exactly what she'll do. She'll say, not only can you not do it this time, you can never do it again for as long as you live. I said, don't do that. That's not a smart way to do things. You know? You've got to step back and, and think your way through these things. See? Well, kids need to hear that permission to think. That permission to reason. They need to, if they say something, if they've thought something through and they come up with something smart, you need to say, boy, that's smart. That is a really great way to think. Why? 
Because someday, God will use that, not only to get along with people, but to, to further the gospel. Look in the book of Acts. You can, say, you can see how often it says, and Paul reasoned daily in the synagogue and in the marketplace. In other words, he could talk to believers and non-believers. And what, how, did he, how did he present Christ? With reason. He fought it through, you know. That's what we want for our kids. So they need to be built up in their ability to reason, in their, their ability to think things through. And they need to hear from somebody who's smarter than they are, you're smart. They need to hear that. That's the voice of grace. They need to hear about all of the social inadequacies they feel. Boy, this is the big deal at this age. Because you just want to be liked, don't you? You just want to be accepted. How many kids do you see pitiful little things rolling around? They just want somebody to like them, you know? And they'll just do practically anything. Do you remember this age? You gauged what, what you wanted, the group that you wanted to like you, and you started to dress like they, if you could, if you could afford it. You, you wanted to dress like they dressed. You wanted to talk like they talked. You wanted to just hang around and listen long enough to get what they were talking about and kind of chime in, you know? And, and there's this kind of this little pitiful thing, you know, where Satan's coming soon. You want people to follow you, you know? You just got to, you got to jump off a building. You got to make yourself know. You got to have, you know? And there's this sense of inferiority. Oh, please like me. You know what they need to hear at this age? They need to have a parent who will say to them, now listen, who will reverse the table. Don't say, you know, how, you know how to be liked? I'll tell you how you can get people to like you. The game is never to get people to like you. Jesus was our model. Jesus didn't come down here to be liked. Jesus didn't come down here to be popular. Sometimes he was popular, sometimes he wasn't. What was the venue of Jesus? Jesus came down to serve. He came down because he had something to give, something that people needed. And thereby, he became a leader for many by serving them. Now watch this. You remember last week when I told you that every kid has a uniqueness about them that is a strength. And th- In other words, every kid, when, when we said train up a child in the way he should go, I said not only do they have a strength within them right now, but you can almost predict their spiritual gift on down the line. Because they've just got this niche, you know? If you begin to nurture in your kid at this age, look, the game isn't whether or not not you're liked. The game is who can you give to? Who can you serve? What have you got to offer? Then they start to think, I'm not on the receiving end, I'm on the giving end. It's a whole different mentality. Now they still have to understand that some Sometimes people will want what they have, and sometimes people won't. It happened with Jesus. The words, follow me, did not always get a positive response from Jesus. He got a positive response from the disciples, but he said those exact same words to the rich young ruler. And what happened? The rich young ruler just went away, sad, you know, because it meant that he would have to give up too much. Well, your kids need to learn the first fundamental rule of leadership. All of you, I'll save all of you a big heartache this morning. You memorize this with me, and you understand this, and it'll save you heartache for the rest of your life. You never spend a lot of time trying to get people to like you or to follow you. Never waste your time doing that. 
Jesus didn't, when the rich young ruler walked off, Jesus didn't go, wait, wait, uh, 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 never mind, uh, uh, you don't understand, uh, I like you, don't you like me? Listen, Jesus knew some people would want what he had and some people wouldn't. You've got to know the same thing. Your kids have to know the same thing. You never waste your time trying to lead people who ain't following. Because for every one of them, there are five who need what you have. That's who you were brought down on this earth for. So your kids need to know you were brought down to serve. God has given you this great gift and somebody needs it. You've got to find those people who need that. It puts them in a whole different realm. You st- there are still people, there are adults who are walking around just dying for somebody to like them. And they will do anything in order to get one little word of approval. They're pitiful. They need to know in Christ they have a gift to give. That's why they're here. They're here to give. So your kids need to be taught at this age. Man, you're not a taker. You're a giver. You're not a needer. You're a leader. See? They need to be taught to. Oh, I'm telling you. I get pumped up about this. Okay. And then the fourth thing, the, the spiritual temptation. This is so strong at this age. Because you see, most kids, a lot of kids who have not been discipled, don't have a very strong relationship with the Lord. And so everything looks more important than God at this stage. And everything looks ultimately important. I mean, so important that, that a kid almost worships it, you know? Uh, 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 a kid almost uh, um, um, would do anything to achieve in a, in a given area other than their area uh, with God. Here's what they need to hear, though. They need to hear the voice of grace that says the only one that can give you what you need to be joyful, to be strong, to be giving is God. That's why that Ephesians 6.4 passage says, Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because the Lord is the only one that can do this. He's the only one that can bring them through those temptations of all of those voices that tell them what they're not. What they're not. Do you know that's the entire mentality of a middle schooler? A middle schooler defines him or herself by what they're not. They, they say, they, they, most of, the, most of the, what, they, what they say is, I hate this. I, I hate that way, way of dressing. I hate that television program. I hate that kind of music. I hate it going here. I don't like, you know, so on and so forth. Their whole definition is what they're not. That is Satan's definition of them. That's not God's definition of them. God's definition of them is what they are. Turn back to that Matthew passage one more time. Most people miss this. But I don't want you ever to miss it because your kids need to hear it. I want you to see the last words. I want you to hear the last words that Jesus heard before he went into the wilderness to be tempted. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. How did Jesus withstand the temptations of Satan? He heard this voice. He heard this voice. Over and over and over again. When times were the roughest, He could hear, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. 
Your kids need to hear this voice continually, continually. And if they can't hear it from God, they've got to hear it from you. And when it doesn't look like they're receiving it, don't you believe it because they are receiving it. Just as people in a physical coma many times can continue to hear the voices even though they can't respond, I want to tell you, many of the times that your kids are clamming up and it, it looks like they've tuned out the world, they need to hear that voice of grace that says, I believe in you. You're my son. You're my daughter in whom I am well pleased. We're going to get through this. God's going to make it okay. And even if they have absolutely no response at all, I want to guarantee you they hear that. And that's the voice that will come back to them when they need it the most. That's the grace of God. You know, grace, I hope that you understand, grace is not just God making up for what we have not been. I mean, it is that. All of us say, God, I can't pay for my own sins. Would you please pay for the difference? And he does. And that's grace. But grace is a much more powerful instrument. Grace is a creator of faith. Grace is a, grace is a strength. Grace is a molder of people. And so they need this voice of grace to understand and to, to eventually see the grace of God in their life that is made of their life what they could not make themselves. And if, if they continue to hear that voice, no matter what you've done wrong, no matter how you failed as a parent, and believe me, I continue to look back and go, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, I wish I hadn't said it. My main failure, by the way, was being unsympathetic. I'm such a driver. I am such a football coach, you know. Yeah, you're hurting. Well, tape it up and get back in the game. You know, it's, so it's just, you know, people go, oh, man, dad, oh, come on, you know. And I just, I just wasn't sympathetic enough. But I tell you what, I always told the boys, and so did Beck, you guys are unbelievable. You're great. God's made you in such a way. What a blessing you're going to be. See? Until a couple of weeks ago, I, I was talking to one of my kids, and, and, uh, and uh, he, he's gone through an emotional thing. You know, something went and he didn't, in a direction he didn't think it was going to go, and he's hurting. And so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get better. You know, I always want to get better at this sensitivity stuff and, you know, feeling stuff. I want to, you know, I want to. So, so I said, oh, you know, I said, boy, that must hurt. Yeah, it does hurt. That hurts me to hear about it. Yeah. Man, you must really feel bad. <laughs> he started laughing because he knows this is entirely... He's never even heard these words from me. <laughs> he knows what I'm trying to do, you know. He's, he said, Dad, he said, you know God. And you know me. I always come out of these things stronger. I always come out better. That's faith. That's what you want your kids to have. This statement of faith that says, even though I'm hurting and even though the pain is real, God is going to use this for good because He loves me and I'm called according to His purpose. That is an indestructible kid. That's a kid of faith. And that's what we are to build. Pray with me. God, thank You that You are graceful even to we who are inadequate as parents.
But we would ask you at this time to be with us as we come alongside those that we need to lead spiritually, whether they be our kids or whether they be our friends. And we ask you, Lord God, that you would make us vessels of your grace, that we could speak a word of perspective and we could speak a word of faith, and we could speak the word that says, you know what, I know your life seems in disarray, but God's going to get you through this. Because we are not in control. God's in control. We are not left up to our own inadequacies, real as they are. It's God's grace that overcomes our weaknesses. Praise God. In His name we pray. Amen.